on a Tuesday morning from Erie, Pennsylvania. Welcome into the Critical Eye podcast. Isaac Petcash, Joe Lineski this morning. Hoping Jovan Johnson can join us in just a bit. Hopefully you had a great new year. Great start to 2022, whether it was visiting with family, friends, whatever. Hope that you are at 2022. It's off to a good start. 2022 is off to a great start for Ben Roethlisberger and the Buffalo Bills. Can't really say the same about the Cleveland Browns. We're going to get on to all of that in just a bit. Plus, is Pittsburgh considerable for the playoffs in Week 18? We're going to get to all of that, as well as Buffalo's chances of success in the postseason now that they have found seemingly a running game. But I want to begin with this. You know, I was Joe, I was thinking of how to begin the show, and there's a lot of, a lot of things to take from that game last night. Um, I had the opportunity to ask Ben the first question of the postgame press conference, and, and I probably got the answer that I was expecting. I, I said, you know, can you describe the emotion after taking that final knee? And he told me no and just kind of looked at me and, and smiled. You know, it's this game last night was hard for me to quantify for Ben Roethlisberger. I think we can all agree on the field um, this guy has been been incredible to Pittsburgh, and we can make the argument, you know, is he the best quarterback of all time, him or Terry Bradshaw in the Steel City? But I, I think the fans came to a realization that they didn't really know what they were losing until they 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 were. I think the last couple of years, this fan base has been been all about, and rightfully so, all about getting after Ben for his poor play, and I think they're justified in this. But I think what they realized last night is, oh, we don't necessarily have a succession plan. And now we're about to lose the best quarterback arguably we've had. And I know that this is not a Drew Brees-esque send-off because, you know, you've got guys like Drew who are community members, people in the people in the New Orleans, wherever community that have, that have helped out. So I, I want to start with this today, Joe, and, and I'm just curious. I, I mean, the game last night aside – how is Ben's legacy going to be remembered in Pittsburgh and, and not just for Steeler fans, but for fans who aren't necessarily a big fan of, uh, of Ben Roethlisberger. I think Isaac, it's probably what you want it to be. If, if that makes sense. Um, when you look at, you know, I think it was the great Charles Barkley that says, you know, I am not a role model. I mean, everybody got offended by that. But I think that I think that's the most accurate thing ever. Now you look, you know, you you raise your son and you're like, I want you to play like Steph Curry. Well, I mean, that's awesome. But we don't know Steph Curry. I mean, Steph Curry could be an ass. We don't we don't know. Ben Roethlisberger kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit. And you know, I think that, you know, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan would not have been beloved in, in today's era, you know, like we had the access to the, to him then that, that we would now, I don't think, I don't think Jordan would be beloved because people would have gotten to know him a little bit and, and know that maybe he wasn't the nicest guy going, but I don't, I mean, I don't care. I, I'm, I'm smart enough to not be, you know, starstruck guys health player. I don't think anyone's going to argue that, you know, I, you know, he's a, he's a first ballot hall of famer. I, I think it, He's, he's one tough hombre. You saw that last night. But, again, I, with the 24-hour news cycle and knowing who I know, and and he's not a likable guy, which is fine. I mean, that's okay. I mean, we, we've got neighbors that aren't likable, right? You know, So I, I can separate the two. 
Um, but I don't know. I don't know how how lovable he actually is, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and Jovan Johnson joining us now. Uh, Jovan, I want to bring you in on this. You know, you, you had the chance to play with, with Ben for a short amount of time, chance to be around him. Uh, you know, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, as a as a Steeler fan, but also as an objective reporter covering that game last night, I, I think the reaction it, it it surprised me a little bit. I I think you know I think we all were expecting big cheers, big roars, but the the constant chance in the game, the let's go Benz, the thank you Benz, and the roar before the game when he exited the tunnel, and then after the game when 63,000 of 63,000 fans stayed and watched as he took his lap around the field. I, I mean, Jovan, what's your reaction to, to last night, and, and how do you think – Ben will be remembered um, by the football community. I mean, Steeler fans, we know he's beloved, but, but by the football community, knowing that his play on the field was great and also knowing that there were some moments in his life that we got to see that weren't necessarily pretty. You got yourself muted there, Jovan. Not sure. Uh, we 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 loved love to hear your voice. There you go. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, but I, I said I I think people aren't going to forget the things that he was known for off the field. I mean, yes, people love Ben Roethlisberger, the player, but you know his legacy will ultimately uh, come down to not only his playing career, but also you know the things that he did off the field, and you know that'll always come back to haunt you. It'll, it's it's on the, the, with social media and. You know, the Internet nowadays, people can look up things about you that uh, you didn't even know were, uh, were out there. So, you know, his his legacy as a player will always be forever. Uh, people will be forever grateful uh, for what he brought to the city of Pittsburgh. You know, the Super Bowls, the winning culture, you know, all the records he, he broke as a Steeler. Um, but the unfortunate part of the game is, you know, when you rub people the wrong way, you know, people tend to never forget that. And, you know, his, his legacy uh, will be a great one, but attain a one as well. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, again, being at that game last night, watching um, he is, he is going to be revered in Pittsburgh. And, and it almost seemed to me like this was a, uh, how, how, how do you want to say this? It, almost a repentance. Um, and, and I'm not saying that the Steeler fans are going to forget what he did. I don't think you can ever forget. And, and there are plenty of people who make mistakes in life, but you almost felt like last night being in that building, that Pittsburgh was willing to put that aside, at least for one night. Um, and, and we're, ha and I'm happy for Ben. I mean, I think to be able to go out the way he did with that win, who knows what's going to happen in week 18, but a pretty special moment at Heinz field. So, so let's now, let's now shift to this. Uh, Joe, Joe asked me before the show, if I shed some tears um, and I will admit that I, that I got a little misty. I think as any reporter that covers a team that has had a star player there for so long, I think it's hard to say goodbye for anyone, but I think the biggest reason that I cried was watching the team on the other side of the field. I, I turned to John Lydic last night, our, our other sports uh, director for, for Erie News now, and I, and I looked at him and I said, there are going to be a lot of things that are overshadowed by this game. 
couple of things for the Pittsburgh Steelers, a lot of the good that they had, the nine sacks, four by T.J. Watt, who will now get the NFL record if he records a sack and a half next week against Baltimore. You figure the running game. Najee Harris, a breakout day, 188 yards, 181 of them after contact, and the touchdown that sealed it. But what I think this retirement celebration masks the most are the Cleveland Browns. They quit. I have not seen a team at the talent level that the Browns were at walk into a stadium and not show up. Uh, It was reported earlier in the day and confirmed that night, uh, last night, that the Browns drove in the day of the game. And I don't think they got off the bus. I don't necessarily blame Cleveland for not wanting to get up and play this game. You're eliminated from postseason contention. Uh, Not a lot to play for. Some questions into the offseason. But you would think that a franchise who claims to be turning the corner, a franchise that wants to be in that Super Bowl contention, that wants to be in that gritty, tough area where they're winning games, would want nothing more than to spoil Ben Roethlisberger's finale at Heinz Field. And guys, I don't know what you saw, but looking at that game for Cleveland, I don't know how you can look at that franchise and say, that's a franchise capable of winning a Super Bowl with that performance because that was an absolute disgrace last night for the Cleveland Browns. And I don't know how you sink any lower at this point. You know, it's funny um, that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and the, the Pittsburgh media, the Pittsburgh fans, the, the real diehard Yinzers, they always blame the offensive coordinator. When, when they came out and threw it all three times, on first, second, and third down in their first possession, I thought, oh, boy, what are we doing here? Um, I don't understand why for Nick Chubb. And remember, they were down, like, two possessions at most at any point. Most of the time it was a one-possession game, right? Uh, and they still didn't run the ball. Like, what, what are we doing here? And, you know – Matt Canada is the worst offensive coordinator in the world. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, who's calling the plays? Van Pelt, Stefanski, the combination of the two? To me, that was as much of a game plan as it was anything. And, you know, I mean, I, I've harped for weeks. You know, Baker Mayfield, just turn around and hand the ball off. Go play action. You know, that's, that's the opportunity. Uh, but for him to throw it 38 times, and by the way, looking at the stats, this is astonishing to me. And I don't really know what QBR is versus rating, but Baker Mayfield's QBR was 14.8. Roethlisberger was 11.9. But I don't, Joe, but I don't know about you, buddy, but I'll tell you what, I watched that game and I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't discredit or, or discount that the fact that they look like they mailed it in, but I don't think it was, I don't think the, the mailing in was limited to just the 11 guys on the field. I, I think that game plan was mailed in. Yeah, it didn't, didn't look like they showed up to play a game, in my opinion. I, it was an opportunity. We talked about it uh, before the game, about the opportunity for uh, Baker Mayfield um, to come out and play for a contract. And to me, it just looked very vanilla offensively. The game plan didn't really look like it was one that was going into a game to win. Um, when you have a running back that is breaking off big runs and 
you know, you're, it seemed like they stuck to the passing game for whatever reason. And, you know, the, the QBRs were atrocious for both quarterbacks. You know, I, I just don't understand, you know, the logic behind what they were actually trying to get accomplished. It didn't look like anybody showed up. And, you know, for the Steelers, the defense showed up in a major way and they showed up with a vengeance. And now they, they are, their number one goal was to, to help Ben go out with a win at Heinz Field. And they did that. Um, I think they solidified, you know, their, their prowess on the game. T.J. Watt and company uh, with T.J. Watt coming amassing four sacks in a game. First time in a long time that that's happened. Um, but they were all over Baker Mayfield. I mean, and Baker Mayfield, you saw it time, time and time again on replays of, you know, him having guys wide open and not letting the ball go, not letting it rip. And I don't know what that's a testament to, but, you know, to me, it just didn't look like the Browns were were there mentally, spiritually or physically. You know, I, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I, I'm not one to try to push wild accusations, but I, I just want to make a point here. And, and I don't think this is that far fetched. You know, all season long, as we've said every week on the show, I feel like I could just hit a repeat button. And we say the same thing. We've talked about Baker Mayfield. Is he the answer? Is he the one that's going to lead you to a Super Bowl down the road? And all this season, we've seen nothing but Baker underperforming, not being successful, not having the kind of season that the team needs him to have. And the fact is, is that every week he comes up to the podium and yeah, he'll put some blame on himself. But as you saw last night in the postgame press conference, blaming Alex Van Pelt, blaming other people, saying we weren't put in best positions to win. There's a part of me that wants to believe that there was a secret meeting last night between the offensive line and a few others to say, let's make an example out of our quarterback. I mean, you look at the stats from last night's game. This is an incredible stat that, that just came up this morning. Gentlemen, TJ Watt, the entire game was double teamed on four snaps. Cleveland went single coverage, single defense, single line coverage on TJ Watt all game except for four plays you look at the running game we talked about this a few minutes ago Kevin Stefanski claiming that Nick Chubb had a rib injury don't give me that when you don't let him carry the ball for more than 15 times in a game that tells me something and let me just say this too for for all of you out there who who claim that Baker could potentially be a a star quarterback and Joe you said this in the show that Baker Mayfield needs to be like Ryan Tannehill well, here's my problem. Ryan Tannehill has a team around him. He has guys who can be his supporting cast. When Derrick Henry got down, you get Devontae Foreman. Derrick Henry comes back. He's going to be a stud. That defense for Tennessee is playing lights out. Their offensive line is churning. We saw last night that when the team is not at their best, Baker Mayfield cannot lead them. He cannot win games. He cannot move the ball down the field. He tries to force the ball in areas that it's a problem. If this was an audition last night for Baker Mayfield to stay in Cleveland, I think he made it clear that that wasn't the case. And I also think this, guys, I think the postgame press conference last night indicated one thing. I think all season long, the Cleveland Browns were trying their best to make it obvious or maybe not obvious 
that they were done with Baker Mayfield. I think last night, Baker Mayfield finally said he was done with the Cleveland Browns. Is, is this it? I mean, I, I, are we going to have to show any more examples? I mean, I, at what point do you tell yourself, this is it, guys? Because I don't know how you can look at a performance like last night for Baker Mayfield and think to yourself, he's given up and his team has given up on him. Well, and I, my takeaway would be this. If you, if you watch that game last night in its entirety and you come away with it thinking that Baker Mayfield's the problem, either A, you're lying, you didn't watch it, or you don't know what you're watching. I mean, to give up nine sacks is bad enough, Joe Vaughn. But I lost track of how many balls were batted down. Um, you know, that's supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in, in football. Um, the combination of the poor line play and poor play calling. Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to win that game last night. You know, Brady wasn't going to win that game. And you could have you brought in any quarterback you wanted to, Montana. I, I just don't – you talk about not – not being, not being complete. And again, I just hearken back to what's different from last year. Not a whole lot, right? Not a whole lot. Uh, maybe, maybe Mayfield's the problem. I don't think he is, though. I really don't. Because they went from a team that was one bad call away, you know, from beating the Chiefs to now they're seven and nine, looking like they looked last night. I just, I can't I'm not defending Mayfield because I'm I'm pretty 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 neutral when it comes to Mayfield. I don't I could couldn't care less. But I just that 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 line play to me. And maybe 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 they were, maybe they did, maybe you know, lineman lunch on Wednesday, they decided, hey, let's, you know, let's let this let's this guy have it. But nine sacks, how many balls were batted? That's about as bad of offensive line play as, as you'll see. You know, Joe, Joe Vaughn, I'll let you jump in in a second, but but Joe, I know what game I was watching, um, and, and I and I appreciate your take, but I don't I I don't think you can deflect blame from Baker here. And we're going to talk about the batted balls. Did you see the one in the third quarter where T.J. Watt quite literally just stood there because he looked at the eyes of Baker and Baker was telegraphing his throw, pointing to him afterwards, saying, "You can't make that too obvious for me." Did you see any of the throws early in the game that were at receivers' feet that were missed throws? Did you see any of the times during the game where Baker unnecessarily in the first half when the line was somewhat protecting him tried to sprint out of the pocket? Did you see on the interception when he had David Njoku wide open 10 yards downfield tried to force it? You know, I think the play calling, Jovan, is, is a problem because I don't think the Browns trust their quarterback. And I think last night might have been an anomaly. Who knows what the injury was to Nick Chubb. But when, when the running game stopped, it's almost as if Alex Van Pelt threw his hands up in the air and said, I don't know what to do. So I'm not saying that Blaker is, Baker is fully to blame for this, but I think he deserves a lot. This is a guy who's lost confidence. He's lost ability. And the Browns are making it obvious in their play calling that they don't know what to do if Nick Chubb can't run the football. So I'm sorry. He deserves blame. And I think he deserves more than what some people are giving him. Yeah. I mean, Baker Mayfield's play was, was what it was. You know, I think he, he's not going to be the quarterback of the future for the Cleveland Browns, but 
you know, also I think more to blame is it's more on, you know, the head coach, the offensive coordinator and on down. I think as a program, you know, they're they're not where they should be at developing Baker into the quarterback that they need him to be. Um, you know, I think the play calling didn't work in his favor. It wasn't uh, the play calling that that would benefit for his success um, of when you have a two headed monster at running back. It didn't matter if you had Dearness Johnson and Nick Chubb or Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt. But you got you have a two headed monster in the backfield and you only run the ball, you know, less than 20 times with a, with a running back that can is, is a per, perennial thousand yard rusher. Um, you know, you're, you're putting the onus on Baker Mayfield to make throws, down the field throws, throws, um, especially with him and his injury history of this year. You can't really be looking for a guy su- to have success when when he's dealing with so much uh, with all the controversy and everything that surrounds him, you know, the, the off the field issues. And, you know, he, he's he's got a lot of pressure on him. Um, but to take that pressure off, you need to turn the ball, turn around and hand the ball off, you know, as to Joe's point, make him a Ryan Tannehill. I mean, turn the ball, turn around, hand the ball off, let the run game do the job. But, you know, Baker Mayfield just, I think he played himself out of uh, a opportunity for a new contract in Cleveland. But at the end of the day, you know, he could be the quarterback of the future, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Where does this team go from here, Joe? I, I mean, it, it, I think, you know, I, I know I harp on Baker a lot, but I was having this conversation in the car on the way back home. What do you, where are you at if you're Kevin Stefanski? I mean, I, cause I think we can all agree if Baker does leave Cleveland, which I think lots of signs are pointing to that could be the case. I, I think you have to start then the internal clock on Stefanski, right? Because you can pull up the argument. Well, we give you, we're going to give you another chance with another quarterback. But then after that, if you don't succeed, you're in trouble. I mean, you look at the scope of this team. They're going to finish under 500 with a Super Bowl quote-unquote caliber roster. They're going to be last in the AFC North. This defense has a lot of holes that you're going to have to plug in. You're going to have to pay. Jarvis Landry's a free agent after this year. You're going to have to potentially pay him. Who knows what Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going to want to do. And if I'm Chubb, I don't necessarily know if I want to stay in Cleveland. So, so where do you go? How do, how, do you, how do you attempt to make this team better going into the offseason knowing that this could have been the year this was supposed to be the year for Cleveland. And now you're staring down the barrel of a losing season, being swept by your arch rival and an aging quarterback who sometimes couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like everybody wants to bang on, on Mayfield. And I get that it was Ben Roethlisberger's swan song, but you know, let's not pretend like Roethlisberger threw a perfect game. I mean, he was less than three yards in attempt. It was, a, it was his worst per attempt in his yeah. entire career. Yeah, I mean, he was 24 of 46 for 123 yards. Um, but again, that, that harkens back to, to my point about the, the play calling. I mean, as bad as Ben was, they won. Najee Harris was, was pretty doggone good, right? Um, I mean, I thought, I thought Nick Chubb ran the ball fine when, he, when given the opportunity. I mean, he averaged almost five yards rip. Now, granted, he did have that 32-yard run, which sort of throws the step. I just think they got to figure out who they are. Um, and we talked about this yesterday on my show. Like everybody wants to, to have a Andy Reid, Pat Mahomes style offense, you know, just like, you know, as, as we see with high school basketball, everybody wants to play like Steph Curry. Everybody wants to shoot it from the volleyball line. Just because you want to shoot it from there doesn't mean you should. Right. Um, and I understand the rules. 
I understand the rules, and it, it is it's much easier to push it downfield. You know, any underthrown ball is going to be pass interference. I get all those things. But, you know, you look at the Colts, you look at the Eagles, you look at the Ravens, you know, what if what if we're starting to see the, the game turn the corner, Jovan, where it reverts back? I mean, you know, and maybe they'll call it something different to make it cooler, you know, like when they called it the Wildcat. You know, it used to be called the single wing. It's not like they, anybody invented anything by calling it the Wildcat. Um, I just look at with the way the game is and the athleticism you now see on defense, I think you're going to see more and more teams – starting to run the ball and be a unexciting offense because the, you know, they just don't have any unicorns in the, in the, in the field. Right. I mean, you look at, you look at the, the NFL now, I think, I think Burroughs is a slinger. I think Herbert's a slinger. Mahomes is obviously a slinger. Josh Allen is, is a little bit of both, but I think he's more, you know, he's able to do what he's able to do because of the threat of him running the ball. But, I, I think that I think that you're going to see more and more teams, Jovan, embrace embrace the vanilla because the athleticism on the other side of the ball requires your quarterback to be elite. And as you well know, you know they're all quarterbacks, but not all of them are quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that uh, going forward, you're going to start to see teams go back to the traditional. If you are a running team, you're going to be a running team and then you're going to be able to to develop an offensive line that, you know, wins up front and you're going to have running backs that can run downhill. Uh, and then you're going to have those big receivers that are, that can go out and block, you know, guys that can can win one on ones, you know, in a, in a possession type of thing. You might have a team where there's one, maybe two, you know, down the field type of receivers and things of that nature. I think a lot of people are going to start to go back to that, um, given that the 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 quarterback play isn't Patrick Mahomes like you know unless you're getting a guy year in and year out out of the college uh, realm of things that can do the type of things that Patrick Mahomes can do and and those type of quarterbacks. I don't think you're going to see teams looking to go spread them all out and throw the ball all over the field unless you got a gunslinger at quarterback and, and it's, it's very few far in between, you know, you can develop guys that have great arm talent, but, you know, decision-making is part of it. It's more to it than just, you know, throwing the ball all over the field. So I think you, you are going to start to see uh, teams go back to that traditional eye formation fullback, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. I think it, as, as ugly as it, as it is, it wins football games and, and you will get that and play outstanding defense. You know, one of the frustrating things guys that, that, that I was sitting up there while I was watching the game that, that I saw is, is why did it take Pittsburgh so long to find an identity? I mean, I, I, you could make the argument that if not for it being Ben's last hurrah, Najee Harris would have carried the ball 45 times for 300 yards. I mean, the, the red zone play calling by Matt Canada was atrocious. Now I think part of that is of course, due to the, nostalgia of wanting Ben to get a touchdown pass and, and, you know, maybe sending things off on his note, but my gosh, if Ben throws that ball 30 times and Najee gets it even 10 more, I mean, what's the score then? Is it 38 to 14? I mean, again, I don't think this game was that close, but my, my last question guys for you on the Steelers, and, and I don't think we can really portray this to this year because I think we can all agree this team is probably emotionally shot. I think they probably get trounced at Baltimore next week and they'll end the season eight, eight and one. But 
do the Steelers, can the Steelers take this blueprint of the game they played last night and attribute it to next year with their identity, knowing that they're not going to have Roethlisberger as their quarterback, but knowing they may not necessarily need a guy to throw the ball 46 times. I mean, did the Steelers finally find their identity? As Joe mentioned, the Browns haven't yet in week 17, uh, because it seemed to me like they knew what they were going to do coming in. And that was the game plan. Well, I think, I think that's the, the great irony is the Browns and the Steelers are, are going to be in the exact same place. Uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, they're just going to take different paths to get there. You know, I, I think, I don't know why, I don't know why they are so beholden to Mason Rudolph. I mean, I, there's, I mean, does he have photos of somebody? I don't, I mean, I don't understand it. Right. You know, he's gotten, he's got a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, I look at, you know, I, I know that, I know that Tyler Huntley is a restricted free agent. So the, unless the Ravens don't want him, he's going to be a Raven. Uh, you know, you look at like a guy like Gardner Minshew or, or what about, or what about, uh, Derek Carr, you know, he's interesting. Um, I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they have the ammo. And by the way, this whole notion that Aaron Rodgers is going to go to Pittsburgh is crazy. Like, like, have you seen the Packers? Like yeah, that, how much that greener, how much greener can it get? I mean, you're, you're really good. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know who they are. I mean, who they are. I mean, what's going to be available at, at what realistic cost. Um, but again, I, I think that's the great irony of this conversation is that the Browns and the Steelers are in the, the exact same place in terms of, you know, what's their future at, at quarterback. They're just taking different paths to get there. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. You know, you got you got some some moves to make, but, I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, this if the Steelers can go into this week against the Ravens with the same game plan. I mean, the Ravens' defense is way better than the Cleveland Browns. And their their offense in Tyler Huntley is way better than what Baker Mayfield have shown. So, I mean, it's going to be a tough game. Um, hopefully, T.J. Watt and the defense can really come to play and and play inspired like they did this past week. Um, if they can do that, I think they can keep the the points down. But the offense for the Steelers is going to have to score. They're going to have to put some points on the board. You know, Najee's going to have to have a great game running the ball like he did. Uh, this past week, but they're going to have to be able to put the ball and win some one-on-ones in the air. And Deontay Johnson and company, um, too many drop balls this past game. If they play the same style of of offense that they played yesterday against the Ravens, they're going to get blown out. And I I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, But, you know, they're going to have to deal with a running quarterback, a quarterback that can maneuver in the pocket who's looking to throw the ball down the field it's going to be a lot tougher on the defense to contain Huntley than it was for them to contain Baker Mayfield. So I think they got a tough task. Can they win for sure? But they just got a tough task that they got to be prepared for. You know, Mike Tomlin would never admit this during a postgame press conference. And, and by the way, Mike Tomlin was the most emotional that I've seen him in any of the press conferences that I, I've attended or I've looked at. I think he saw the writing on the wall, but, but I think, I think the, game plan for Pittsburgh going into this this Monday night game against Cleveland was let's empty the tank and if that means that we don't have it against Baltimore so be it I I think Pittsburgh finally realized last night that you know playoffs long shot let's let's try our best to get this win 
Um, and I, and I do think it's going to cost them next week. I mean, you, you think about how much emotional energy does this team have left to get up and go to Baltimore. I mean, yeah, playoffs are still on the table. I don't necessarily think being a Jacksonville Jaguar fan puts you in good graces of, of playoff contention, but, but we'll see. Um, not, regardless, you've got two teams that uh, were trending in opposite directions last night. And, and if you're a Browns fan now, you, you have to be going back to the doldrums of a few years ago, thinking to yourself, how on earth are we going to build back from this, knowing the team that we had and the aspirations that we had hoped for? All right, guys, let's, let's end with the Buffalo Bills. I really do want to get to them because there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that you can appreciate from the game on Sunday, in my opinion. I think Sean McDermott made a very smart, very calculated decision at the beginning of the second half. Um, Here's what I think what was going through Sean McDermott's head. I don't think McDermott was looking at the Atlanta game in the halftime locker room. Head coach of the Buffalo Bills was looking at the first half tape and said, if we are in a playoff game right now, we're getting killed. And I think finally, you guys, we've talked about this on the show. We've talked about the need for a running game. I think the Buffalo Bills finally started to realize that they will go anywhere in the postseason if not for that running game. Devin Singletary with a great day, an incredible performance, first career game with a multi-touchdown game. Was this the game where Buffalo finally was able to figure out the running game? Is it a fluke? Was it the game? What was the key? I don't know. That was an odd, odd game. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the five sacks is, is terrific. You know, we've talked, we've talked about, you know, the, the, the Bills defense getting, to, you know, needing to get after it, get into the, the turnover game, uh, need, needing to be the factor that they were last year, which was great. We talked about Devin Singletary. Hey, finally they ran the ball. And let's be honest, they ran for almost 240 yards as a team. They were really good up front. But then, you know, the other side, and then Josh Allen was just atrocious. <laughs> you know, he throwing three picks and, 20, you know, 11 to 27 or whatever it was, barely, barely a buck 20. Um, that wasn't very good. But again, I, I think that if you're the Bills, to, to your point with McDermott, you know, the, the, uh, the, the prize is not the Falcons. You know, the prize is, is where we at. And now they've won three straight. You know, they're, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be an 11 win team. Not certain where that's going to put them on the seating because there's still a little bit to be determined uh, in that side of the bracket. But you know, the Bills, to me, their their issue primarily, you know, and running aside, quite frankly, you know, they were incomplete, and, and they're still incomplete. I mean, they they've not really put. I mean, when I guess when they beat the Patriots, they put a game together. But that to me is the most alarming thing, Joe. On they've not yet played a game where, you know, in all, all the phases were what I think they can be. Uh, so that, that to me would be the red flag on the bills, but I'm sure you're just tickled pink that Singletary ran for a buck 10. I, I, I am quite honestly, the fact that we're talking about the Buffalo bills and the running game is amazing to me because for throughout the whole year, I mean, I don't think we've, we've, I'd be besides us criticizing the fact that they wouldn't run the ball, um, has been the extent of our conversations about the Bills in the run game uh, or jo- how Josh Allen continued to be the leading rusher game in and game out for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that that was the issue. And then you turn around and, you know, we talked about it 
uh, last week. Um, this was an opportunity for the Buffalo Bills to develop an identity that they're willing to run the football. And if they stick to it, you know, what could come of it in the, going into the playoff run? I mean, this is, there was a perfect opportunity for them to, to, uh, you know, stick, stick to the run game and show that they're willing to run the ball because in the playoffs, they're going to have to, especially if they're playing in Buffalo or any of these cold weather areas, you know, running the football is going to be their best friend because that's going to help open up the passing game for, um, Josh Allen and company, I think, but, you know, as it, as it, as it stood, you know, the running game was their best friend and the passing game was their kryptonite in this past game, you know, cause Josh Allen wasn't very good. Uh, he threw a bunch of interceptions and, and, and you can tell that the weather was affecting the ability to throw the ball. And I'm glad that they actually stuck to the run and they, they believed in it. They trusted it and, and they had amazing outcomes from it. Um, but the offensive line must have took it up on their uh, on their backs to say, you know what, you know we haven't ran the ball well all season. Let's go out there and show that we can we can get the job done. And they they did a tremendous job. So kudos to the Bills for running the ball. Ladies, find yourself a partner like Jovan Johnson loves talking about running the football. Uh, <laughs> and, and I and it's it's a good point you make. And I think what Sunday proved, guys, is our, is our use of language with the Buffalo running game's been accurate the entire year. It's not that they can't run the football. It's that they've refused to run the football. And, and I, got, I think I got concerned earlier in the season, you know, is this a team that's going to be stubborn? They have a star quarterback, and so they feel like they need to give him the football. Almost like the Baker Mayfield-Odell Beckham conversation. You know, early in the career of Odell, when those two were married in Cleveland, uh, it was was Baker trying to force the ball too much to Odell? And I think we saw that in the first couple of weeks with Buffalo, uh, including in the middle of the season, was are the Bills so fancied with their star quarterback that they have to have him be the offense? And I think what we saw on Sunday was Sean McDermott say, you know what? I don't need to give the ball to 17 every single play. Let's go ahead and and get rid of our refusal to, to get rid of the running game. I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, guys, that, that to me is what it was. I think Buffalo finally decided to turn a corner. Um, does, does this team now seem more credible to you, Jovan? You've already answered. I guess I'll ask Joe. Does this team more credible now to you, Joe, now that they've maybe gotten rid of that refusal tag on the run game? Well, I'm not ready to go there yet because that was one game. Um, I, I don't well, know. If, I, I, I get that, but in the way that they, the way that they did it, I mean, is at least, I guess, is it traction? Well, I think, I think what puts them in a, in the upper echelon category is that they've got stars at all the important places. You know, when you gotta be, you gotta be counting your money when you're the bills, you're getting a, a 14 point win and Dawson Knox doesn't have a catch, right? Like that's, that's house money there. I mean, that is, but you know, Diggs is a legit number one. Uh, Dawson Knox is an emerging star. Josh Allen is is on that trajectory, if not there already. You know, Devin Singletary, as we saw, has that ability. I think what what separates the Bills, and again, we don't. I you know I'm not ready to I'm not ready to to analyze the Browns the same way I do the Bills because they're not they're not the same tax bracket. You know, I think I think you you pick you you pick a you know you have a little bit higher standard with, you know, a car you're going to spend 50 grand for versus a car that you're going to spend five grand for. Right. <laughs> and the bills are that $50,000 car. And I think the Browns are the $5,000 used car. Right. So I think, I think we can, I think we can have the same conversation using a different rubric to break each team down. Right. 
And, you know, I think the, the, the problems can be the same, but they have different impact. And I, I think that the, the Bills' refusal to run or inability to run or lack of desire, whatever you want to, whatever adjective you want to put in front of it, you know, I think that's the, the thing is that, you know, they are literally one play away with Josh Allen. Whereas I don't think, you know, you, you look at, obviously, you look at the Ravens. Now, granted, they're not, they're probably not a playoff team. You look at the Colts, they're not really one play away because that's not who they are. And I think, I think that's Joe Bond, Joe Bond's biggest complaint, or at least that's the way I interpret his biggest complaint, is that the, the Bills have not proven that they can risk that. Um, you know, you look at, you know, you look at like these teams that can run the ball and shorten the game. And, you know, we talk about, you know, how running the, you know, running it 30 times, how much it shortens the clock. You know, my, my issue is with, you know, and again, Josh Allen is, is amazing, but I do not like him running it 15 times. I just don't because he's too important to the, their passing game. Um, unlike, you know, Lamar Jackson, I don't mind if he runs it because you know, obviously Huntley throws it better than he does. But I think that the Bills still are are unproven in, in terms of what their ceiling is. But they are – I mean, they've got stars in all the important places, Joe Vaughn. This is the makings of a team that can get to the finish line. It really is. And hopefully for Bills fans out there, this was a step to, to show what the total package that they are. I think it was. And, Joe Vaughn, I, I want you to answer, but I'm going to save your response for later this week because we got to get going. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, listen, Buffalo is on that trajectory and we're going to see they get the Jets this week just win the AFC East and host a playoff game next week. All right. We're going to get more of this on the critical eye podcast next week on uh, next week. I should say this upcoming Friday when we get back and preview week number 18, we know Buffalo's in is Pittsburgh going to have a chance to be in those questions answered next week. All right, everyone enjoy your Tuesday. Enjoy your week. See you on Friday.